Guys, welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line is my co-host Curtis. And today's show is going to be a little different. It's going to be broken into two parts. Uh, the It's a little different for us. The first part of the show will be the Vanderbilt edition of our Summer Sky and the Enemy series. But really, how much is there to talk about Vanderbilt? I don't know about you, Curtis. Are you really pumped up to talk about Vanderbilt football? Uh, not really. I mean, the way they've been the last couple of years, you at least just have I mean, you used to be able to completely skip over them, but right. I mean, you at least have to have a discussion. Yeah, like, they're them, at least, like, respect. yeah, like, you got to at least be, like, respectable. Like, are you got to respect them a little bit? Because they, maybe they are respectable at this point, maybe. They, they've been, like, they made a bowl a couple years ago. They were right there on the, on the rim of that last year. They didn't quite make it, but yeah. So, I know, for you guys, though, I know when most of you hear that we are pre- previewing Vanderbilt on today's show, you're kind of rolling your eyes. I can see it now. You're kind of reaching down to your phone, searching for something else to listen to. I get it. I do. I really do. I get it. And in reality, like, Curtis, you're right. You made a fair point there. Like, they've become somewhat respectable now. But for me, like, in reality, the only reason that I decided to kind of include the Vanderbilt in the Sky and the Enemy series is because I honestly, personally, am absurdly superstitious when it comes to the dogs. And I have this kind of inescapable sense that if, for whatever reason, we decide just to skip Vanderbilt... That lack of respect will kind of go out into the cosmos, and then the football gods are going to punish us with with another home loss to Vandy. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. 100% irrational. Trust me. I know this. Our show is not that important. I'm not that important. But for some reason, I cannot shake the old superstitions. So really for that reason, we're going to be starting off the show with a Vanderbilt preview. But as I said, that doesn't mean there is all that much to discuss when it comes to Commodore. So it's going to be short and sweet, much shorter than the previous Scott and the Enemy series have been. So the second half of the show, after that, will be a bonus listener mailbag segment. We, we kind of have questions keep coming in after we record our June listener mailbag show last week. So instead of just holding those shows um, until July, we figured, you know, why not go ahead and answer them today? So that's what's on tap today. But first, I do want to remind everyone that you guys can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UG. I know those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time, you're probably very tired of hearing this whole spiel. But for some of our newer listeners, you can find us. Uh, on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. We love to get your thoughts on everything going on uh, in the program, about the show, all that good stuff. Uh, also, make sure everyone knows you can find us on a variety of different platforms out there. DollSportsRadio.com will be the first place to look as part of the larger V-Sport-O internet radio network. We can find a bunch of, of Georgia-specific content, also some various college football content, some national stuff as well. So check that out there. You can download the Sports Radio app straight to your smartphone. Uh, and you can also find us on... Uh, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all those good places. You can find us there. And we appreciate everyone who's already given us a rating review. We really do appreciate all of you who have done that. If you get a chance, it would be awesome, especially some of you newer listeners, to kind of just give us a quick rating review that really helps us out as we continue to try to grow our show. All right, Kurt. Vanderbilt. They were 5-7 and seven a year ago, 1-7 in conference, after a bowl appearance in 2016. It was kind of – you remember the start of last year? Remember they started out 3-0? Remember that? Yeah, and then they decided to put them on uh, CBS of Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's still a head-scratcher. I guess, hey, you know, you, gotta, you just want to get different teams on there, I guess. But So they started out 3-0 last year, and that included a surprising home win against, uh, over Kansas State. At least I found that surprising. I actually watched a good bit of that game. But then, like you said, after after that, the wheels kind of fell off. Because in the next three games, they, they face uh, Alabama, Florida, and us. And we beat, they were defeated in those three games by a combined 144-38 uh, to 38 score. Uh, now, they did beat Tennessee for the second straight year in Knoxville. Uh, so that's something for them. But then again, I mean, 
literally everyone else in the league beat Tennessee as well. So I don't know how much you want to beat your chest about that. But for Vanderbilt, I mean, that's a big thing, being Tennessee twice in, or two times in a row. I think, I, I don't quote me on this, I think I heard somewhere off the top of my head that they've never beat Tennessee three times in a row. Like, you see that's, is that a realistic possibility this year for them, Kurt? Uh, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in Nashville. It's in I Nashville. think Tennessee will be a little bit more improved by the end of the but season. Tennessee has better players. Around. As bad as Tennessee has been, like, they've got better players. Let's just be real. I mean, I think the, the game last year was just a function of some injuries for Tennessee and then also the fact that they, I mean, it was dead men walking there at the end of the seasons. But let's move on. And let's really kick this off with a look at some of Vanderbilt's numbers from the 2017 season. We'll start offensively. They were 10th in the SEC in total offense last year with an average of a paltry 350 yards per game. It's not great at all. Uh, They were a little bit more efficient. They were 7th in the league. Not great, but okay in yards per play, averaging 5.6 yards per play. They certainly were not an up-tempo team. Uh, They were 11th in scoring offense, only averaging 24.6 points per game last year. Uh, The one lone bright spot for them last year offensively was their passing numbers, which is surprising if you watch Vanderbilt play over the past couple years because they've really been more of a run-heavy pro-style attack under Derek Mason. At least that's what they've wanted to be. Uh, But they were fourth in passing offense in the SEC, averaging 243 yards again. It was a big jump from the 2016 season where they were 11th in the league in passing offense. They actually uh, averaged 50 yards more per game through the air in 2017 versus 2016 with Kyle Shermer uh, back as a full-time starter in 2017. Rushing offense, though, was abysmal. Uh, It always was confusing to me why Ralph Webb got so much publicity um, well, at least for a Vanderbilt player. But every time you heard Ralph Webb's name get brought up, it was like, oh, man, this is a really good running back for Vanderbilt. But I never really quite saw it that way. And the, the 2017 numbers kind of bore that out. They were 14th in the league in rushing offense. That's right, dead last, only averaging 107 yards per game on the ground. That's 50 yards less per game than what they averaged in 2017. 16. Now they did go from 38 carries a game in 2016 to 29 carries a game in 2017, but that differential, in my opinion, is largely based on the fact that they, they simply could not run the football, so why even attempt to do it if you can't do it? They tried to run them. If you watched it back in the early part of the season, they were trying to run the football, but they weren't having a ton of success, especially once they got to the portion of the schedule they faced in Alabama, Florida, Georgia in three consecutive weeks, starting in week four. But they just simply could not run the football, and that obviously stifled a team in an offense that was built around trying to establish the run and then hit play-action passes off of the running game. They just simply could not do it. And if you flip it over to the other side of the ball, defensively the numbers were a little bit better. Nothing great, uh, but certainly a little bit better. They were 8th in the SEC until defense gave up 393 yards per game. They were 10th in the league in yards per play surrenders at 5.85 yards per play, so not a super efficient defense. Uh, they were 11th in scoring defense uh, with 30. They gave up 31 points per game, and they also and man, this is a really bad number. But they also broke a record, not the kind of record that you'd want to break though, for points allowed in in the SEC in conference play in the history of the SEC. They gave up 346 points on the season in conference play, which comes out to an average of 43 points a game they surrendered against conference foes. Again, that broke the SEC all-time record. So this is a defense that has you know, kind of tried to hang their hat 
on defense with Derek Mason, the head coach who kind of made his bones as a defensive coordinator at Stanford. He's now taken over the play calling duties they did last year, but it didn't work out so well for him last year. And to finish the numbers up here on the defensive side of the ball, they were 7th in the league in pass defense, giving up 194 yards a game. So again, about average, but they were uh, terrible. They were terrible running the football and terrible stopping the run, and that is a recipe for disaster, especially in the SEC. They were 12th in the league in rushing defense, giving up just a hair under 200 yards a game on the ground at 198 per game. So... Those numbers right there, thats is that kind of what you expect from Vanderbilt? It is, um, you know, especially, I, I mean, I think, you know, they came back down to earth just a little. You know, they didn't do as great as the year before, but I think, though, what killed them is, you know, for the like you said, for the years before, Ralph Webb had been the horse, and he just wasn't that last year. Was, I, mean, I mean, he's not on the team anymore, so it doesn't really matter, but was, was Ralph Webb really ever that good, or is he just the best player on Vanderbilt? He was the best player on Vanderbilt, and also at the same thing, I think this year, even if he had come back, it wouldn't matter because uh, they have a lot of question marks when it comes to that offensive line. Well, I mean, that's that's typically going to be the case with Vanderbilt, and that's that's one of the things, like, when when you look at this team offensively, what they've tried to be under Derek Mason is kind of, like, they've tried to mirror us in a way, like, Al, in the, like our scheme, Alabama scheme, like, they want to pound it down your throat. And typically, you see teams that can recruit big, bad offensive linemen that that, that do that, that can that can run that pro style type scheme. You don't see it with teams like Vanderbilt. Usually, teams like Vanderbilt who, who can't recruit that well, they run. I don't. I hate the word gimmick offense, but they run some sort of of system that allows them to kind of neutralize the talent disadvantage. Like like Tech runs a triple option. A lot of the teams in the Big Twelve can't recruit like the teams in the SEC can, so they go to the spread systems because they can't get those kind of players. But Vanderbilt, who doesn't recruit that well, decided to go with a more pro style scheme. Do you think that? fits what they should be doing with the talent that they have? Like, should they be that? Should, should they try to move, especially with Kyle Schirmer at quarterback, should they try to move to a more spread-based attack where they throw the football around the lot a little bit more than trying to pound it at you with smaller offensive linemen? They should, because right now, I mean, especially with Shermer, I mean, who's probably the best passing threat they've had since Cutler, I mean, you should, you know, use him a lot more. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. And now that we brought up Kyle Shermer, let's talk about him for a second here. You know, they did, as the numbers kind of suggested, they did take a big step forward last year as a passing offense. And Kyle Shermer's again, if you guys are familiar with Pat Shermer, he's now the, he's been a long-time uh, offensive coordinator in the NFL. Now he's the head coach for the New York Football Giants. So he's the son of a coach, got that going for him. He's entering his senior season. Uh, last year he made a big jump from 2016. 2016 as a part-time starter, he played in 13 games. But 2016 he completed 54% of his passes for 2,400 yards, uh, 9 touchdowns to 10 picks, only a 110 quarterback rating. Last year, though, he took a, a solid jump ahead. Uh, his completion percentage went about 3.5 points to 57.9%, threw for 2,800 yards, uh, his yards per attempt went from 6.4 to 7.4 yards, taking more shots downfield. And his touchdowns went from 9 to 26, and he stayed at 10 picks. Went from 9 touchdowns to 10 picks as a sophomore in 2016 to 26 touchdowns and 10 picks as a junior in 2017. How good can Kyle Schirmer be in 2018, Kurt? Um, I think he'll be a good quarterback, but I think what's going to hurt him is he doesn't really have the receivers around him to, uh, you know, really help him carry the load. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they lose two out of three uh, of their top receivers last year. They lose Trent Sherfield and C.J. Duncan. Now, they do have Kaliah Lipscomb coming back, uh, but they lose. I mean, those two guys have been, like, I don't want to say horses for them to receiver, I mean, but they have been their best receivers for a couple of years now, and those yeah, guys are gone. Guys had more than 50 catches last year. Yeah, and those guys are gone. So, 
you know, when you're looking at this team uh, in, in their pass in the passing game, I think the, the, one of the reason they took a big jump as a passing offense last year is yeah, Kyle Schirmer's like, got some experience under his belt. He's a year older. And you also have those two senior leaders at receiver, but those guys are gone. So I don't know. Like it's like I, it's. But does it stand to reason that Kyle Schirmer will take another step forward this year as a quarterback, regardless of the talent? Um, I think he's improving every. You know, every time you see him out there, he is improving overall. Um, I think that's fair to say. I mean, he's a big. Like, he, he, he he's kind of like the NFL prototype in a way, right? I mean, he is, he's yeah. a big. He's a big guy. He doesn't have like a super cannon, but has a good strong arm. He's you know he's tall. He's well built. Uh, he's got the NFL you know pedigree with his dad being the head coach. There. So he's, he's got the whole student of the game kind of thing going on. And I, watching the guy play, I think he's a good quarterback. Now, obviously, like you mentioned, there's going to be a dearth of talent around him. He doesn't have the options that you know we have here at Georgia, have at Alabama, you know, have a, team, a place like LSU or Auburn. He doesn't have those kind of players around him. So I think that does kind of neutralize what he's able to do. But I think as just looking at him solely as a pure passer, I think Kyle Schirmer can can be a really good quarterback. Now. Does that mean they win eight or nine games? No, because again, they don't have the talent around him. Now, Ralph Webb is gone, Curtis. What in the world do they do with this running game? Um, well, they still have Blossom game, and then they have the transfer that has come in, uh, Devon Vaughn. De- yeah. Devon Vaughn. Yeah. But when you look at Kari Blasting game, he, like he's a converted line, a converted linebacker. They converted him over there two years ago. If he's a guy that let's say he has, I don't know if he's going to shoulder the load for them. But let's say he does end up shortening the load for them at, at running back, or at least splitting carries, being one of the two main guys. Can he really be that effective for them? No, because to me, he's always been a better pace of change of pace type guy. Yeah, I mean, he's a big body. Like I said, like former linebacker, he's one of those guys that kind of seeks out contact. I think about like he's, he's similar to Petway, just not as good. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. I mean, that's a, that's interesting. It also kind of reminds me of like a Brennan Douglas type guy. You know, go back a couple years. You know, looking at Georgia, like Richard Samuel too. Guys that kind of like like are bigger bodies that kind of seek out contact and kind of and try to bowl people over. But I don't know if he's your down in, down out type back. And you, and you mentioned Keshawn Vaughn uh, transferring from Illinois. He'll probably figure in prominently into that quarterback or that running back uh, competition. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be the guy uh, for them. We'll, just, we'll just have to have, have to see how that ends up playing out. But I think he might end up being that guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, offensively, it's a good chance, despite what they have at Kyle Sherman, they're still going to try to stick with the scheme where they want to pound it down your throat. That's kind of been their, their MO under, uh, Derek Mason there for the past couple of years. I expect them to do a lot of that, try to establish the run and hit play action off that. And like, they can be successful doing that against the Kansas States of the world, um, against, I don't, I don't know, the Kentuckys of the world. They can have some success doing that against Ole Miss last year, teams that just can't stop you defensively, can't stop anyone defensively. You know, they, they establish a run, they hit play action off that. But when you face Georgia, Alabama, Florida-level defenses, you simply cannot compete with that. And that's what you've seen the past couple years, with obviously the exception of 2016, which I've tried to forget, uh, with this Vanderbilt offense. All right, let's flip it over here real quick to the other side of the ball. They do lose their top two tacklers off what I would call a below-average defense last year. Is that fair, Kirk, on them below-average last year, looking at those numbers? Yeah, especially to with you know how they have been. I mean, they gave up the most points in SEC play. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at their schedule last year and how it played out, I mean, good God, man, they got. I mean, Alabama put up. I think it was fifty nine on them last year. Uh, we Florida put up thirty eight on. We put forty five. Ole Miss put up fifty seven. South Carolina put up thirty four. Kentucky put up forty four. Missouri put up forty five. 
And even Tennessee, is as atrocious as they were offensively, managed to put up 24 points on them last year. So, man, and, and that that's kind of a, a stark departure from what you'd seen previously from this Vanderbilt defense under Derek Mason. It was just a couple of years ago. I think it was 2015. They were a top 30 defense nationally. You know, so, I mean, it's it, – so what do you, do you expect this year? Was last year the anomaly, or do you expect them to kind of continue that trend? Are they going to move more towards would, what they were in 15 or 16? I would uh, expect to continue the trend and, you know, decrease. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's tough to say – that they're going to be much better than they were last year when you lose your top two tacklers. A guy like Oren Bursch, he's gone. Uh, you got Now, they've got a couple of pass rushers I think are solid players that are coming back for them this year. Uh, they've got Charles Wright and Dare Odiyingbo. They had 14 sacks between them last year. Uh, Wright had, had uh, seven and a half, and Odiyingbo had six and a half. So they have some guys that can get after the passer a little bit, but you lose your, your top linebacker, you lose your top tackler in the secondary that's kind of more of like a box safety is more or less what Ladarius Wiley was last year as their leading tackler uh, but I, I when you lose those kind of guys and Vanderbilt is not a, a, a program that goes out and replace those guys with top level recruits and they have to kind of develop these players over time I don't know how reasonable it is to expect them to just kind of pop those guys in there and say you know what yeah we're gonna we're gonna jump back in the top 50 nationally well, Vanderbilt has a good defense it's one of those where they have a, a majority of upper class right it, it develops over time that's that's just generally how it works with a team like that, that that cannot recruit year in year out with the big boys. So yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you there. Do you think they have like? Is there any chance in the world to somewhat slow us down this year, like they did uh, to a degree in 2016? Now 2016, even though we lost that game 17-16, we still had over 400 yards of total offense. We just couldn't capitalize when we had opportunities. But do you see a chance that, like they uh, their defense could potentially try to do something like that, like they did in 2016? No, I think they just don't have – what really carried them in uh, 16 was the middle linebacker, Cunningham. They yeah. just don't have a game changer like Yeah, that. Cunningham was truly – he was the rare game-changing defensive talent that Vanderbilt has occasionally. They don't have those guys growing on trees at Vanderbilt. They just can't pluck those guys. Those guys are rare beings there. Uh, the rare resources. So when he left, I think I left a gaping hole. Going. I mean, Zach Cunningham, was he was legit. He was really, really good. And if you look at last year, look, we put up 550 yards on the road last year in Nashville with a freshman, a true freshman quarterback. Uh, and that quarterback is back. Four to five guys in the offensive line are back. Four to the five top receivers are back. And you added the number one recruiting class in the country. Like, why should we expect them to be able to slow down our offense any more than they did last year? You know? Yeah. I just, I, I'm not seeing it. So. There, there's your Vanderbilt preview. Uh, we did our duty. We previewed Vanderbilt. I know it's not a ton, but I, I also know that most of you out there don't really care to hear all, all that much about Vanderbilt. So if you want to hear more Vanderbilt talk, just hit us up on Twitter. And we can we can communicate with you there in social, on social media. So uh, well, let's go ahead and move on to the mailbag portion of the show here. We've got a couple of questions that were left over. Uh, we recorded the, the mailbag show, I think, last Monday. Uh, we had some shows coming throughout the rest of the week, so we definitely wanted to go ahead and, and get to those before the end of the month so you guys can get your an- your questions answered in a timely fashion. Uh, so I think I've got all of them. I apologize if I missed any. There's always a chance I could have missed one or two. I, th- I went back through our, my Twitter feed and direct messages and tried to pick out all the ones that I saw. So if I miss one, it's not because I hate you. It's just because I'm a borderline idiot sometimes. So just... Let me know if I miss it. Ask us again, and we'll definitely include it on our next mailbag show. But let's go ahead and get into these. We've got six or seven here. And the first two are somewhat related. Uh, and we're going to start with the first one here. Cooper, appreciate the question, my man, ask us, 
Is it crazy for me to think Justin Fields will be the starter at quarterback by the end of the year? Kurt, what's your take on that? Is that crazy? Um, I think it is crazy. You know, I've always said that as good as I as good as I think Fields will be, um, I could never see them outright just not from not being the quarterback or not being the starter. Even, um, even if you know they shared a lot of time throughout the year, I just I just don't see them. You know, just outright changing the starter, even even if in games you may see Fields get more PT than from based on you know if they're shutting down our offense where we're in the true pro style, you know he may get more you know more PT in a situation like that. But I, like I said, I just don't see them outright making him the starter. Yeah, this is an interesting question here, uh, and I have I have a couple of things to say about how this is going to play out. Look, I. And this might be long-winded. I don't know, but I'm just gonna go ahead and go with it here. I, you know, I have an occasion to be long-winded sometimes. You know, never. Uh, but look, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Curtis. I think it's like Cooper answered your question. No, I, I certainly don't think it's crazy. Uh, although, what I would have to say is, I'm with you, Curtis. If I had to handicap it right now, I would give Jake Fromm a healthy lead. Is that kind of where you are? Yeah. That he has a healthy lead. And look, I, I, I've said this a couple. Of, it's gonna sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I, I, I don't think I am. I've. I've said it a couple times recently, particularly in reference to some of our young defensive players, that I would take talent over experience all day, every day, if I had to pick between the two. But to me, and tell me if you disagree, Kurt, to me, quarterback is the one exception to that rule. Would you agree? Well, even then, I mean, if being a starter nowadays doesn't mean you're going to be the guy the entire game. That's fair. That, that's true. I mean, yeah, especially if you got guys with different skill sets. But like I could go back back to like I truly would normally take talent every other position I would take talent over experience but I think that quarterback for me is the exception to that rule because far more so than any other position on the field quarterback play is about your mental makeup more than it is your physical makeup. I mean, well, that also depends on how, like, how close the talent gap is. Like when yes. you saw when you had a Grayson Lambert, yes. Easton, well, you would go with the inexperience because Easton just gave you a better chance 100%. to win. But there's not, uh, you know, I mean, like we said, Fields does stuff that from camp, but it's not like Fromm's not, you know, yeah. a great quarterback. Dude, yeah, I had that. I had that exact analogy in my notes, man. You hit it on the head there. Absolutely. I, I just, I when it comes down to it, I just really, th- I do think the quarterback position, quarterback position, is more about mental make- makeup and skill than it is just like true raw physical talent, which. I don't think that's really the case in any other position. I mean, that's how guys like Eli and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees can be superstars in the NFL at that position. But if you'd never seen those guys before and didn't know who they were, you couldn't tell the difference between them or any other random middle-aged dad at the local Applebee's. Like, on the other hand, like a J.J. Watt or a Von Miller working at the Applebee's, like, you might you might never watch a down in football in your life, but you know those guys are athletes of some sort, right? Yeah. Because it's just a different position. You don't have to have that be that physical specimen to play quarterback. Now, I will say with the, with the influx of, of dual-threat quarterbacks in the modern game, that's kind of changing to a degree when you have guys like Cam Newton, but I still think it's largely true overall. Now, again, like with all that being said, like I, I'm, I'm with you, Kurt. Like experience is, is important. Mental makeup, is it really matters at quarterback, but it matters less the bigger the gap in talent between the players competing for the position. And Grace Lambert and Jacob Eason is a, a perfect example there. But the thing is, like, do you think that's the case with Fromm and Fields? Like, is there that big of a talent gap? No, there's not. I don't. I, mean, I, I did just play, you know, start for us and take us to the national championship. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think, I think. Look, clearly, J- Justin Fields is a physical specimen. There's no doubt about that. We all know that, and his legs are a weapon. He can use his legs as a weapon in a way that Jake Fromm cannot. Now, Fromm's no scrubber on the ball, but he's not Justin Fields with his his athleticism. But in every other way, I think Fromm at least holds his own with Fields physically. I mean, Fields is taller, but not by much, like an inch or inch and a half or so. 
Fields does have a stronger arm, but despite what some think, Fromm's arm is plenty strong enough. And like I would venture to say, like we don't really know with Fields completely here. We haven't seen that much of him on the field in the collegiate at the collegiate level. But I would venture to say that Fromm is the more accurate quarterback at this point in his career. He's shown the ability to throw with anticipation and show that he can excel with ball placement, the ability to change up velocity uh, when he needs to. Now maybe Fields can do all that, but we don't have the evidence yet. But like just wrap it up here. Like going back to what I said about experience, like Fromm has. This is why I would say like, I, I would still handicap Fromm being the guy right now having a healthy lead. Because Fromm has the one thing that Fields cannot match, and that is experience in big-time moments. He has 14 starts, including three postseason starts under his belt that Justin Fields, no matter how athletic he is, just simply cannot match. And part of playing the quarterback position is seeing things you've never seen before, making mistakes, yeah, making mistakes, and then learning from those mistakes. Think about this, Kurt. Think about Matthew Stafford's freshman season. You remember that season? Yeah. Like, we all knew that Stafford was insanely talented. I mean, heck, Mel, Cal- Mel Kuyper was even touting him as the future number one pick before he ever played a down at Georgia. But even a guy who did, indeed, actually go on to become that future number one pick, as a true freshman, he completed 52% of his passes through seven touchdowns to 13 interceptions as a true freshman. And that's okay. That's the norm with young quarterbacks. And that's case in point to me why experience matters at that position. We were just ridiculously lucky last year that Jake Fromm was so advanced as a freshman from a mental makeup standpoint that we didn't have to suffer through those Matthew Stafford-esque growing pains for the most part. Now, he made some mistakes here and there, but not not like Matthew Stafford, like your typical true freshman does. So saying all that, I'm a big believer in Justin Fields. I believe that he will be a superstar for us eventually as long as he sticks the course, stays the course, and doesn't transfer. I'm truly fascinated by what his legs will allow our offense to do when he does get his shot. And I think he will allow us to run some of the more potent and nasty schemes that, that you see out there today. Stuff like the, the guard tackle quarterback power tag with a running back screen that Oklahoma has been carving teams up with, with Lincoln Riley, or the bash concepts that Penn State has brought to the forefront. But the thing is, I think we can still use him to do that stuff with Fromm still being the primary quarterback. So, look, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. Fields is talented as, as heck, man. And if he beats Fromm out... That's going to be really, really exciting because Jake Fromm, in my opinion, is legit. And if Fields is good enough to beat out Jake Fromm in 2018, then I, I, I don't know, man. I think we're going to be like almost essentially impossible to stop offensively. If Fields is that good, they can beat out Jake Fromm. So may the best man win, and just I'm excited to see how it plays out. All right, so next one here is also related to the quarterback position. Jake Fromm's involved in this one as well. And I don't you might have seen this, Kurt, but Terry had a cool question. Uh, I had a question. I, I actually was going to bring this up on the show uh, and you know, one of these shows, maybe this week, later this week, or next week, but Terry went ahead and asked the question, and he said, uh, Bleacher Report recently put out an article that quoted an NFL scout as saying that Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason could potentially be the top two quarterbacks taken in the 2020 NFL draft. Do you guys really see Jake Fromm as that type of NFL prospect? Or did you see that article? Yeah, I did see that article. Yeah, so, so real quick, for those of you who did not see that, uh, here's the quote. It's a Bleacher Report article. I think the title was, let's see, it says, NFL scouts are terrified of the 2019 quarterback draft class. So they talked about why they're terrified about the 2019 draft class and how there's not a lot of uh, high-level elite quarterback prospects that are, that are no-brainers in the NFL this year or coming out in 2019 or projected to come out in 2019. So they looked to 2020. And so here's the quote. It says, one high-ranking scout I spoke to last week was nearly giddy talking about the 2020 draft class. And this is what the high-ranking scout had to say. He said, quote, that kid at Georgia, Jake Fromm, and the one that left, obviously Jacob Beeson, are legit dudes. They could go one and two 
and they were at the same school. Those are the ones to watch in 2020. So, Kurt, it's an interesting question. I get. Do you buy from as that type of NFL prospect, where he could be the number potentially the number one quarterback taken in the 2020 NFL draft, and that would involve him leaving early? By the way. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to sell him short, but. I mean, as much as I like Fromm and everything, if I was building a pro NFL team, I would. I don't know if he'd be my number one choice. Why not? You know, while he can make all the throws, he's a great leader and things. I, it's just he's not prototype from a physical standpoint, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to sell him short, but he doesn't have the strongest arm and, and things like that. I mean, I mean, you look at Tom Brady, you look at some of those people like that. Um, that's what makes him so good. Okay. Okay. So he's not six four. He's not six five. He's he's listed at six two, but probably more like six one and a half. Is that fair? You'd say? Yeah, that's probably. Yeah, I mean, he's probably he's a, he's probably he's a little bit taller than six one. I've been around the guy a couple times, and like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm five eleven. I'm probably not. Probably more like five ten. But he's a good couple inches taller than me. All right. I mean, he 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 is. So, but maybe not six two, but not not too far off from it. That's that's close. Maybe six one and a half ish. So I get it. He's not that tall. He, he, I think he has a. Would you say his arm is is a, it's it's good, right? Yeah, it's good, but it's not. Like he can make. It's good enough to make all the throws he needs to make. Yeah, especially at the college level. Yeah, it, it's not Jacob Eason's arm. It's not Justin Fields' arm. It's not Drew Locke's arm. It's not. Okay, I'm not gonna sit here and say it. it is. It's not. But in my opinion, what I, I've seen the guy make. I've seen him make plenty of throws. I mean, one of the best routes he throws is the deep out from the far hash, and you cannot make that with a noodle arm. You simply can't do it. So his arm is plenty good enough to make all the throws he needs to make, in my opinion. But you're right. It's not a, it's not a cannon arm. He doesn't well, have the... Pers- see, the big difference, too, is as good as he is throwing those routes, the, the windows are just so much smaller. That's fair. That is a fair point. You're right. You're going to have more elite, pro- more elite players out there in the NFL, smaller windows. There's no doubt. That That is a, that is a really good point. Um, but I'm not. I, I think I'm gonna look. And you guys know if you listen to the show, like I, 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 I do have a man crush on Jake Fromm. I've had it for a while. Uh, I, don't, I make no bones about that. I try to. Be, I mean, look, I, I love Justin Fields as well. I love Jacob Eason too. But I think Jake Fromm just has. He has some things that you just simply and you hear this a lot, but I, I think it's really true. And I was saying this before he even played a down last year. He has some things that you just can't teach. I watched him for a couple of years at, at the seven on seven camps up here in Athens. And I saw it then, and I was actually pissed the day that, that we didn't like when we offered. Uh, oh, what was the dude from McKeechan, Man, I forgot his name now. Hawkman. Yeah, Bailey Hawkman. We offered. I was there when we offered Bailey Hawkman. He accepted the. He committed right there, on, pretty much on the spot. Uh, or I was there when he committed, and we didn't offer Jake Fromm. I, and Jake Fromm was there that day. His house, his house county team was there, and I watched both those guys all day long. And I thought Jake Fromm was clearly the better prospect. Um, so I've been on Jake Fromm for a while. So I'll put that out there. I just want to be honest and be fair there. But I, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here because I, 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 I mean, I, it would be, it would be dishonest to say I wasn't like at least a little bit surprised when I read that. Now, I, but I do think that Jake Fromm has what it takes to be a first round NFL quarterback, and and I know that when Eason went down and he created that whole situation at quarterback, that a lot of our fans convinced themselves that Eason was still the future NFL uh, star, the number one pick, while Fromm was kind of like the scrappy little kid who could. And like now with the with the Fromm Fields debate, when people try to calculate, okay, when when might Justin Fields see the field? Okay, if he's, if Fromm you know stays four years and Fields you know could, is he going to stay? Is he going to transfer? Like when people try to calculate that, like when Fields might actually see the field and potentially be the starter, they often just assume that Fromm is staying all four years. That's like when you hear like the people say, well, if Fields doesn't win the job this year or next, he's going to transfer because Fromm will be here four years. So people just kind of assume that Fromm is going to be a four year guy here in Athens. Like he, there's no chance that he can be an NFL prospect who's going to leave after his junior year. 
But I always thought that Fromm would have like a legit chance to be a first round draft. Maybe not the first pick. Like, I was surprised to him say that he was gonna be like the, the, the number one pick. I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I thought he had a chance to be a first round draft pick. And the reason for that is a couple of things. I I think he look again. He doesn't have the principal size of Eason, but it's not like he's under six foot. He doesn't have the arm that Eason has, but it's not like he's working with a noodle arm out there. He can make every throw. And on top of that. He does a ton of things that NFL quarterbacks have to be able to do. And here's the thing. He did them as a true freshman in the toughest defensive league in college football. I mean, I could run, I could talk all day about what he does in the pocket. I mean, he's poised in the pocket. He doesn't get happy feet. He sticks in the pocket. He takes a hit. He throws outstanding anticipation. He's outstanding with ball placement. He wins with his feet in the pocket and, and consistently displays the ability to stick, slide, climb, and throw, which is what you've got to do in the NFL. Uh, now, you see the runner that fields this? No, of course not. But winning with your feet in the pocket is a huge thing. That's a huge part of being an NFL quarterback. Uh, he's great off play action. He's big time on money downs. I mean, his pass rating was almost 200 on third down last year. In fact, like, mid, like going into the floor game, I remember doing the show when we were talking about this. His pass rating on third down going into the floor game last year was over 200. And all of that is as a true freshman. So, while he may not have prototype physical tools, which he doesn't. I mean, I'll admit he doesn't have the prototype physical tools. I don't think he's that far off, but he doesn't have the prototype tools. He's just so advanced at doing so many things that NFL quarterbacks have to be able to do that I do think him being one of the top quarterbacks in 2020 and him potentially leaving after his junior season is a realistic possibility. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to happen. I don't have those answers, but I think it's a realistic possibility, especially if he continues to take strides this year and then going into his junior year. I think it's a possibility. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. All right, next question here. We had a couple from Axel Dog. And Axel Dog, I just want to say, man, we appreciate it. I'm going to give you a shout-out. Appreciate all the interaction. You had some great thoughts out there. I mean, really enjoy kind of interacting with you there. Well, one of the good questions Axel Dog had on Twitter was this. Would you start Tyson Campbell at boundary corner or star if the choice was yours? We've talked about this a few times, but Kurt, I'll let you take that one. If I had to choose, I'd probably say boundary corner. I think the thing is, um, I don't know how physical he is to be in stopping the run, but I think he could be a weapon in stopping the pass. Yeah, I think he's a guy that, like, if we if we need him to play star, if we need him to play safety, if we need him to play boundary corner, I think he could realistically play all three positions. However, I do think boundary corner is where his highest ceiling is going to be. Uh, I, I, he's got the length. He's got the speed. I mean, the guy's like a, a, a 10 300-meter guy. I mean, it's crazy stuff track speed man that's that's insane track speed for for a high school senior uh going to his freshman year of college i i, so I just I, I think that's where his skill set translates the best now he could play he could play safety he could play in uh, in the slot the star position but i'm with you i don't think he's physical enough I, at least i haven't seen the physicality to where he's gonna be able to kind of act almost like as uh, let's be real with the stars the stars almost like a box safety more or less uh, and I, I don't, I don't know if he showcased that. I think we have other guys on our roster who would fit better at the star. A guy like Mark Webb, who is a little bit bigger, a little thicker, a little more physical. A guy like D'Angelo Gibbs, if he can get back into, if he can continue to stay in good graces, I should say, and kind of get back into the swing of things and knock off some of the rust. I think those guys fit better at the star position. Maybe even a guy like Otis Reese could potentially fit in that star spot. If he can show that he can hold up in man coverage against some of those shifty guys in the slot. But I, I definitely think the answer there would be Tyson Campbell at boundary corner if I had my pick. Uh, all right, next question here is from John. Uh, you know I love these linebacker question, man. As an old linebacker guy myself. John asks, how do you see the inside linebacking position panning out with Roquan gone? Who do you see running the defense on the field? Um, on the field, I'd probably have to go with Latrez um, at the moment, so long as he can stay out of trouble. I think. That makes the most sense, right? I mean, he's, I mean, he'll be back for like his third year essentially as a starter. 
Yeah, and I, so that's me. I mean, and right now, uh, the reason I say that too is I think of the of that position. I think it's the most settled. You, you, do you really think Natrez is going to have a spot at inside linebacker? Like yeah, that's I do. His spot, yeah. Compared to the other guys, I, like there's a toss up with the other position, but I think if anyone has it, the inside track to any one position, I probably I would, so no probably lingering issues with the coaching staff and some of the disciplinary issues. You don't think? I mean, they're very well, maybe, but it'd be hard. He was, remember, he was, during, I mean, again, don't want to read too much into it. Remember, Gita, he was running with the two defense. Yeah, like I said, it, I said it then. It didn't shock me yeah. then. Kind of make him work his way back and earn his way back. Well, even then, the question marks for who are the other guys going to be. And that's the thing. With the other guys, you don't want to make someone your on-field, play, your captain of the linebacker core, that could very well be replaced after a series. Well, yeah, I and mean, some of those guys, okay, Monty Rice, Juwan Taylor, some of these guys that are vying for spots, maybe even Tay Crowder, I don't know, maybe McBride even, some of these guys, the names that you hear out there, none of those guys have have started more than, like, what, two games in their career? Yeah. So, like, they have essentially negligible experience. The only guy with any experience returning is Natrius Patrick. So, to answer the question of who do I see running the defense on the field, if indeed he does get that starting spot back, like, that just, that makes all the sense in the world to me. Now, the bigger question, I think, is who is that other inside linebacker? Who would you kind of handicap as the odds-on favorite right now at that spot? I might, I, it may blow your mind, but I actually might go with Tay Crowder. You know, towards the end of the season, mm. he was actually getting some plays. He got some time in the Rose Bowl and the Natty. Juan Taylor were. Yeah, I got, I, look, I don't, I, look, I, look, of course we don't have the answers right now. We'll, and the coach don't have the answer right now because we still got all the spring, all of summer practices go through before all these decisions are made. Now, some guys, Made some moves, I'm sure, during the spring, but we don't know what the coaches are, what they're thinking is all this stuff right now. But like, I, I'm for one, I'm not a guy, I'm not a, a Jawan Taylor. I don't want to say guy. I, I, I love Jawan Taylor. I mean, hey, I love all our guys, but I'm not. I don't necessarily believe he's the answer at that position. Do you? No. And something like I've, I hear some people talk about Jawan Taylor being like a silent sideline type player, and dude, I just honestly, man, I don't see that. I, you know, preparing for the Vanderbilt uh, preview show. I just been watching. Went back and watched our game against Vanderbilt last year, and Jawan Taylor got the start in that game. And there is some stiffness to his game, man. Like he is not a fluid. Now, obviously, he's not going to be Roquan Smith. Duh, we know that. But like, he is not a true. And in my opinion, I don't see him as a true silent, silent type player. There's too much stiffness in his in in, in his game. He's stiff at the hips. He does. Like, he's got good speed, but I don't think he's got great speed there. Uh, so I mean, I mean, why take Crowder? I know he got some time last year, and I agree with you there. Is it because of the athleticism he potentially brings to the table as a guy who used to be a running back that that kind of yeah, made the move? If you look at him, he has got his body bigger to, to for that linebacker position. And you know, if I, I mean, if I realistically had to go with my top two, it probably would be Tay or Monty. Like I said, Juwan. I mean, he'll be a senior, and he's never truly made a move. I like. I don't know if I'm ready to say that Tay is going to be the guy, but I think. I think people are discounting him too much. I do. Th- I do think he's in this in this competition. I think you're right about that. I don't know if I'm ready to go that all the way. So yeah, he's going to be the guy. But I, I'm, I'm not going to write it off either. I would probably say like game. If we're talking about game one, I would handicap it as saying Monty Rice would probably be that guy. Um, in my opinion's changed on Rice a little bit over the past couple of weeks. I've been doing the scouting the enemy series and going back and watching tape and watching games a little bit more. Uh, he didn't play a ton last year, but he did play some. And look, Monty Rice, I kind of say a lot of the same things about him as I would Jawan Taylor in terms of being a silent sideline linebacker. He's not that kind of guy. He doesn't have great speed. He has good solid speed, good enough speed, but he's not like a, a true elite athlete out there. But between the tackles, Monty Rice is probably the best linebacker we have on the roster right now. Is that like, would you, is that, am I going too far saying that? Uh, probably not. I mean, I think yeah, between the tackles. 
Yeah, he doesn't have the experience. I'm not saying that. Like, but the, the, and again, it's a small sample size of what I saw from him. But there were a couple plays in that Missouri game when he played a, a good bit, especially in the first half, where he, where he showed me he, where he showed me that he can be a a dominant. I don't want to well, not I shouldn't say dominant. A very good player between the tackles at the inside linebacker position. Now it's when you got to when he's got to flip his hips and run and move side to sideline where I have some questions and concerns. Now and that, to, to, here's the thing with, with Monty Rice. And I said this on Twitter last week. I I think Monty Rice is way more like Natres Patrick than he is Roquan Smith. Am yeah, I off base? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and that's the problem. Like you have to have someone that can do the other right. thing. You have you, what I see is if you put Natres Patrick and Monty Rice side by side, you basically have two very similar players. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Is Natres is a good player. You need a guy like that, but you also need look. And again, we're not going to find Roquan Smith. That's not going to happen this year. But we need a guy with some athleticism that can do at least competently do some of the things that Roquan did last year, right? Yeah. And and so I see where you're coming from saying Tate Crocker. I think of the guys we have on the roster, he fits that mold. Now, Nate McBride is the, is the one that has the most athleticism, correct? Very true. But I think that he is just like – he's he was I mean, so he's wrong. He's one of the that if he ever, is ever going to play, he's going to be as an upperclassman. Yeah, I mean – and, and, and I know some people – you read this and hear this sometimes like, hey, God, if Nate McBride is he going to transfer? I mean, we have actually another question about Nate McBride here in a second, so we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but he – He's one of those guys that was just really raw coming in to college. He didn't really know how to, like, honestly, he didn't know how to play the linebacker position. He kind of just ran around and kind of threw, threw his shoulder into people. And he was really fast and really athletic, and he is, man. He's got crazy track speed. He's, he's a really, really, really good athlete. But he had a, a, he had a pretty steep learning curve coming into the college game. And I'm not ready to give up on Nate McBride yet. I'm not, because he he's got crazy physical abilities. But I just don't know if he's gonna be ready this year. I just, I really don't. I don't, I don't know if he's ready. Um, then you got guys coming in like Quay Walker and Channing Tindall, who I, I honestly, I think the door's open for them. Do you? No. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the door's open for them. If you had to pick one of those two, Walker or Tindall. Now this is again, this is a crazy guess. Like we don't, we don't know. We haven't seen these guys outside of their their high school tape. But if you had to pick one of those two, who do you think has a better chance to, to be that guy at inside linebacker this year if, if there's one of the true freshmen that earned the time? Is it Tyndall or Walker? Walker. <sighs> yeah, man. Ah, oh, man. I don't know. <sighs> I think Walker. I think Walker's more of a freak athlete. They're both really good athletes. Um, Walker just has a little bit more to his game. I mean, he's a guy that has the potential to play off the edge if he needed to. It's just, it's just the size and athleticism combo. In Walker, and from what I've heard, Tyndall's put on some good weight since he's gotten in the program here, since he's gotten on campus. But I can't confirm that with my own two eyes. You haven't seen that. Now, if that's indeed the case, then man, maybe all bets are off there. But I would say, honestly, I think it's probably going to be Monty Rice start the season. But I would not be shocked by like game four or five if you see Channing Tyndall or Quay Walker taking over that spot. I wouldn't be surprised. Just that they they bring some the the, the athleticism they bring to the table. It's just different than what the other guys that are competing that are seriously contending for that spot bring the table outside of Nate McBride, who I don't think is ready yet. So I guess I would go with Monty to start the season, but I wouldn't be shocked to see one of the true freshmen step in and take the job at some point because I think that door is going to be open. I do. Uh, all right, next question here is also another one from Ax- Axel Dog. He asks, "Do you think James Cook is a day one impact guy? Do you, Kurt? Um, honestly, no. Um, the re- it's." I think it's just because we're so stacked at running back. He got here a little late. And while he's a good receiver, the thing is, 
if you were going to put him, you'd put him in the slot. Okay, well, we have um, Nicole and Akil Crumpton in that position. And our number one running back is a great receiver in, in his own self. But you could have said the same thing about Sonny Michelle last year. Sonny Michelle was a great receiver in the backfield as well. But we wanted to, to give him a breather and get, get a young, talented guy like DeAndre Swift on the field. So we kind of used him as that third down back last year. Could James Cook potentially fill that role? I just don't think he can. I mean, it's the fact that, you know, when you're getting here late, you're – I just yeah, think he's, he's not getting – he got here what, like yesterday or today? Yeah, yeah, just now in July, almost yeah. a month after everyone else. That's true. I mean, he's got about a month before fall camp starts, uh, so he's a little bit behind the eight ball there. Ah, oh, man. I, I think you're, you're, you're probably right. But I could just see a scenario where he kind of fills the DeAndre Swift role from last it year. It really depends on how healthy Zeus is. That's a good point, too. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, we don't know that. From all accounts, it sounds like Zeus is going to be at least you know, in practice shape. Maybe like 85 90% by the start of the season. Uh, and that's just you know, that's, that's a guesstimate here. But from what we hear with his progress, it sounds like he's going to be ready to hopefully practice at some point here during fall camp. But that, that, does, put, that does factor in here. But I, I honestly don't know if James Cook is ever going to be a true running back. Like, I, like lining up an eye formation and run the ball downhill. Do you see James Cook ever being that guy? Uh, I mean... Based on his high school tape, I don't see him. Like, they did not do that with him in high school. He did not do that. Or not consistently. Very, very rarely did he do that. Now, Dalvin did. Dalvin filled that role really well for Florida State, but they're different guys. I think James Cook is going to... I think he will have... I do think he'll have an impact. I don't think it'll be a, a massive impact, but I do think he... I, if I had to predict right now, I'd say he fills that third down role that DeAndre Swift filled last year. I think he'll get some time there. I do. If I had to guess. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, all right, next question. So I, I teased that we had another Nate McBride question here, and this one comes from Carl. Appreciate the question, Carl. Uh, Carl asks, with his inside linebacker size and track speed, would it be crazy to try Nate McBride at fullback? Kurt, would you give it a shot? Um, I mean, it wouldn't be crazy, but the thing is, we also got to remember, we don't really use the fullback that much anymore. Yeah, we've kind of moved to the, the modern trend of using H back. It could be, but I think the dangerous part is you you would also, I don't know. I mean, you want a fullback like with Holyfield there, at least if, if that ever happened again, you would at least have someone who's got experience. Like, it's not an, it's not. A crazy it's not question. A terrible idea. No, it's not. It's not a crazy idea. I really don't think it's a crazy idea at all. I, it, it, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. I mean, he's a big, physical guy. He's a linebacker size. I get that. He's got track speed. So you think, hey, you know what? Let's use the guy. Now, if we want a triple option, you know, back in the day, he'd make a heck of a fullback, right? A yeah. heck of a dive back. Uh, there's no doubt he would. But look, here's what I would say about Nate McBride. I, I, he could probably play fullback. I'm not going to sit here and say he couldn't. He, he probably could. But. I would just caution and say I wouldn't do that yet. I, I still think that I'm not quite ready to give up on Nate McBride as a linebacker yet. He might not ever – It might the light might not ever go on for Nate McBride at inside linebacker. It might not. I, but I'm not ready to say that yet. I mean, he's been here for a year and a half. He, you know, so I, give the guy some time. He had a really like, – I don't think people really understand the, the learning curve that Nate McBride had coming out of high school at that position. He was very, very unpolished at that position. And I, I think it's just going to take some time to figure all that stuff out. And I and I, I don't know if he can or not. I don't know if he will figure it out or not. But I want to at least give the guy a shot. He's too talented at that position. Like his upside, if he ever does figure it out, is too high at inside linebacker to go ahead and just throw him at fullback right now. Would you agree? Yeah. I think it's just too high, the potential that what, what he could be. I'm not saying he'll ever be that. 
but what he could be once the light ever goes on. So I I give him another year or two at inside linebacker and see if he can ever kind of just grasp what uh, you know the, the nuances of playing that position before we just throw him at football. Now if he, if he gets to like his you know his junior season, his senior season, and you're like, dude, this guy, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know if he's ever going to figure it out. Then give him a shot. But but you're also right. We don't use a fullback all that much. You know, maybe a handful of plays every game. It's it's not the old Mark Rick I formation offense anymore. All right, last question here, kind of a fun one. Uh, Josh, preach the question, man. Josh asks, how are you guys keeping your sanity knowing the season is right around the corner? I'm having trouble with mine. The anticipation is almost killing me. Kurt, are you still sane? Waiting oh, for the season? Yeah, I think, I think more than anything, I'm, try, I'm just staying calm because I don't want to build it up so much because then it hurts just that much more when it's gone. Oh, yeah, dude. Like I, I know this is going to be an unpopular thing to say. I am... You know, you see all these countdowns. It's like when you get to the 100 days, you see all the 100-day countdowns, right, every day? Yeah. I hate those with a passion because when I see those, it makes it seem so much further away. We're like, 88 days. Now it's 87 days. I would rather just not think about how many days it is, you know? Like, time to me passes a lot more quicker when I'm not thinking about how many days exactly we are away. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it makes you. It makes time go slower. Yeah, it, it does. It just it, it makes the time just. It's interminable when I look at it that way. Eighty-seven days, eighty-six days, eighty-five days. Just down the line, it's like, oh my god. I like to where it's like you can one day I might, out of the corner of my eye see somewhere that says eighty-eight days, and I a week and a half later, you're not paying attention every day, but you see a week and a half later, it's like, oh wait, now it's like seventy-six days. Cool, that's awesome. It just to me, it's a lot better that way. So I like my. I don't. I don't know if I have any secrets, but. What I do to keep my sanity when we get this close, and it is like tantalizingly close, I just kind of keep my head down and just don't think. I try my. I mean, obviously, I can't help but think about it, but I don't. I try to like think about day by day how close it is. It'll 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 get here, man. Um, but it's tough. There's no doubt that's it's much easier said than done. I know a lot of us are out there just chomping at the bit for football season to get here. If you're at all like us, which I'm sure if you listen to the show, you probably are. But all right, guys, that is it for the show today here on the Guru UJ Podcast. We definitely appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us. I know days are busy and time is precious. You only have so much time to listen to podcasts, so we really do appreciate all of you choosing to listen to our show. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.